We're reading this morning from 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 12 and reading through to chapter 3, verse 3. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink and with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. <clears throat> well, let's... Uh, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you're watching on the live stream, great to have you with us, and uh, I trust that it'll be helpful and encouraging time for you. Um, friends, let's um, bow in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word uh, is a double-edged sword, that it pierces our, our hearts and, and our spirits and our souls and our minds. And Father, we pray that um, uh, your spirit would be using your word now to, um, uh, to, to grow us in our knowledge of your ways and to challenge us and to encourage us uh, that we would be changed and be more the people you would have us be. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as a young Christian, I had heard of a church which was, well, it was not too far from where I lived, uh, which had become uh, very popular. And uh, in fact, it was uh, you know, considered to be quite a, uh, quite a success story. So one Sunday, I decided to, um, to, to check it out and to see what all the fuss was about. And I must say that everything about the church uh, communicated success from the moment I walked in through the door the whole vibe of the place the uh, the auditorium was full of people about my age at the time the the music was almost uh, rock concert quality which I really appreciated and the preacher was was very engaging but I knew enough about the Bible to uh, to, to detect that what he was preaching was not actually the gospel, uh, that in fact it was, well, it was a false gospel because it was a, it was a gospel about success. It was about a gospel about how you can be successful uh, 
in this life, in the things of this world, uh, with a kind of a God covering over it. You know, it's, uh, it's easy to be impressed, isn't it? Uh, it's easy to be impressed, particularly by a leader who, who knows how to impress, uh, by their uh, personality, by their uh, ability to draw people in and by their powers of persuasion. And we uh, rightly want ministries to be successful, don't we? Uh, we want uh, uh, church ministry to be successful. We want our uh, personal, individual ministries to be successful. But what do we mean by that? Uh, I mean, um, or more to the point, uh, what does God mean by that? How do we, how do we measure success in Christian ministry. Now, Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians, which we're looking at in this current series, is going to really help us to think through that issue. And uh, Paul starts to do so in the second um, chapter that we're looking at today, the second chapter and uh, through to chapter 3, verse 3. Um, as we've seen over the last few weeks, at the church in Corinth, it was a minefield of problems, wasn't it? Lots of problems um, with uh, divisiveness and people undermining the, uh, the authority of the Apostle Paul, as we saw last week. And it's for that reason that Paul, who was based in Ephesus, had to make a, an urgent, uh, painful visit across the Aegean Sea to Corinth to visit the Corinthians and uh, had to follow that up with what uh, he uh, described as being a somewhat severe letter to them. But, but another problem had emerged in Corinth uh, during Paul's absence. You see, there were other preachers who had turned up in the city and in the church. Preachers whose goal was to persuade people uh, to, to, to believe that in order to be saved, they had to uh, they had to obey the Old Testament laws and not simply just trust in Christ alone. Now, this was not the gospel which the Corinthians had heard from the Apostle Paul and the gospel which they had believed. And so in order to achieve their goal, these new preachers in town uh, had, to, uh, had, to, had to, to convince people to think more about them than, than what they would think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, and so they maligned Paul uh, by pointing out how um, underperforming Paul is, how unimpressive Paul is, how unsuccessful Paul is compared to them. I mean, after all, uh, his sermons were not as dazzling as their sermons. Uh, and he doesn't uh, really speak all that much about um, amazing spiritual experiences that he's had, like the ones that they had had. And wherever he goes, Paul ends up being unpopular. Have you noticed that? I mean, he gets beaten up, he gets stoned, he gets thrown into prison. I mean, why would you want to follow someone like that when you can follow someone like them? and be part of their more popular and more impressive ministry. Well, uh, when we get to chapter 11 in verse 5, we'll see that Paul, with a, with a touch of sarcasm, uh, gives a name to these people, and he refers to them as being 
the super apostles, the super apostles, because compared to to them, uh, Paul says, well, I am weak. Compared to them, I am unimpressive, at least by the way that they measure success. Uh, In fact, in today's passage, uh, Paul's uh, so-called weakness uh, is actually forms part of the backdrop uh, to the description of his journey from, from Ephesus uh, through to Macedonia, if you care to have a look at that in chapter 2, verse 12, uh, where he says, Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Now, of course, at one level, this is just a description of... It's Paul's travelogue, isn't it? He's saying, this is where I went and this is why I went there. But um, underlining this is actually an issue to do with Paul's, um, Paul's weaknesses, Paul's struggles, Paul's difficulties. Now, during his ministry in Ephesus... Um, there were many, many people who uh, put their trust in Christ. Many people. But um, the the gospel is divisive, isn't it? The gospel divides people, such that in Acts chapter 19, uh, so many people in uh, Ephesus had heard about the gospel and had actually been changed by the gospel that it angered people. And there was a, it, it, it meant that Paul became the, 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 the reason, or Paul's preaching became the reason for an, an uproar in the entire city. And uh, when, it was only when that uproar died down that Paul then left. Paul's life was in danger. And so he left Ephesus and he travelled north to a city called Troas in order, he says, to preach the gospel. But it's where he says in verse 12 that the Lord opened a door for him. Do you see that? The the Lord opened a door for Paul to preach the gospel in Troas. Now, if God opens a door for you to share the gospel, what do you do? Well, let me put it a bit differently. What should you do? (laughs) What should you do? I, I reckon... You've got to walk through that door, don't you? You've got to, you've got to seize that opportunity. You've got to uh, preach the gospel. You've got to share the gospel with people. You've got to be committed to, uh, to doing the work of ministry uh, through that door that God has opened up for you. But Paul walked in through the door, and then what, he did, what did he do? He turned around and walked back out the door. He walked out the door. And the reason was because in Troas... He was troubled. He was troubled. He had no peace of mind. Now, why was that? Well, we're told because he did not find Titus there. Uh, it was Titus who had taken the, uh, the severe letter and delivered it to the Corinthian church. Uh, and Paul had apparently arranged to meet Titus uh, there in Troas in order for Titus to tell Paul Uh, their response to that letter and yet when Paul got there Titus was nowhere to be found and so he left Troas uh, and uh, headed westward uh, northwest in the hope of meeting um, 
meeting Titus in Macedonia. But you can see how this would be twisted, can't you? I mean, Ephesus is in an uproar. No peace of mind in Troas. And, and he just walks away from a, a door for ministry that God has opened up for him. And what sort of a ministry tour is this? Well, in verses 14 through to 17, Paul describes it as being like a triumphal procession. That's how he describes it. In the Roman Empire, when a victorious general returned to Rome, he would do so in a triumph. That's a word which we often use, isn't it? Uh, the word triumph. Uh, a triumph in the first century was a procession uh, where crowds of people would line the streets as the general led his army into the city and was honoured for his power and his success. He would be followed by his army and at the very rear of the procession, dragged along in chains, would be his prisoners of war, his slaves, his captives, so that their weakness would actually highlight his success and power. Now, in verse 14, Paul says that he is part of a triumphal procession. But it's a procession where he is not the victorious general leading the procession. Uh, he's not even one of the soldiers in the procession. Uh, what, is he, what is his place in the procession? He says he is one of the captives. He's one of the slaves. He's one of the prisoners of war. That's who he is. And he's a captive, though, not led by a Roman soldier, but a captive led by God in the triumphal procession of Christ, in Christ's triumphal procession. You know, when one of those triumphal processions was entering into Rome, uh, you wouldn't just see it and hear it, uh, you would also smell it, you would sm in a good sense, in a way, depending on whether or not you like the smell of incense. Because as, as they would be on their way in the procession, they would be burning incense as part of the ceremony. Um, how do you feel about incense? Do you like the aroma of incense? Um, I, I like the aroma of incense. I quite enjoy it, um, but uh, I, I get it that uh, a lot of people don't like the, the uh, aroma of incense. But we are drawn, aren't we, to sweet fragrances. You know what it's like? You're going for, for a walk uh, during the springtime or summer and you just pass by a particular shrub and you, and you, and you draw, draw, draw breath of this wonderful sweet fragrance and you've just got to stop, don't you? And you've just got to breathe it in. It's so beautiful, unless you're allergic, of course. In, tri in Christ's triumphal procession, the aroma which Paul, the captive, spreads is what? It's the aroma of the gospel. That's what he spreads. And so whether he is causing a riot in Ephesus, whether he's having no peace of mind in Troas, whether he's walking away from an open door as a lowly captive of Christ, wherever he goes, he's actually spreading the aroma of Christ.
But it's a Roma which doesn't attract everybody. In fact, it divides people. Um, for many people, the aroma of the gospel is the stench of death. They are repelled by the gospel in the same way that we might be repelled by the, by the smell of a decaying corpse. They are repelled by the gospel. And I think we know this in our own personal experience, don't we? As we uh, share the gospel with uh, family, with friends, with uh, strangers, um, <clears throat> we pray for a positive response, but we don't always get it. We don't always get a positive response. Often I think that um, our sharing the gospel with people uh, is met by apathy. Um, it just seems to go in one ear and out the other. Um, but for some people, they will dismiss the gospel as being just sheer nonsense. You know, the idea that uh, 2,000 years ago that a dead man uh, came back to life and uh, disappeared into heaven where he now rules the entire universe and that one day he's going to come back again in judgment, well, that just sounds ludicrous. Sounds foolish. Who would believe something like that? Only a fool. And then there are those who are angered by the gospel. Because what does the gospel say? The gospel tells us, amongst other things, that we are, that we are sinful, that we are not good enough for God, that we will be judged. And it tells us that, that you need a saviour. And so to the proud person, uh, well, they don't want to hear that. <clears throat> they don't want to hear that they're not good enough. They certainly don't want to hear that they need someone to sort things out for them. And to someone like that, the, the gospel stinks. It is the aroma of death, as Paul says, to those who are perishing. Now, <clears throat> I remember a conversation I had uh, once with a particular pastor, which I've, <laughs> I've never forgotten, because he... He boasted to me about how successful his ministry was. And uh, he told me that um, whenever he speaks the gospel, people always respond positively to his message. In fact, he told me I don't even have to speak the gospel. They just respond positively in my presence. <laughs> and uh, I wondered what sort of gospel he preached. I wasn't surprised later on to hear about some of the other things he was doing in his ministry. Because faithful ministry of the gospel always divides people. It always does. And so it brings both joy and rejection to those who share it. And so Paul in verse 16 asks the question, well, who then is equal to such a, a task? Who wants to go preaching the gospel knowing that it's going to be rejected by many and they too will be rejected? Who is equal to that, that task? Have a look at verse 17. Unlike so many, he says, we do not peddle the gospel for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Now, one way of avoiding suffering for the sake of the gospel is to water it down. In fact, uh, the word that is translated there as to peddle 
um, actually comes from um, a word which refers to a, a wine cellar in the ancient world, someone who sells wine, not where you store wine, but a, someone who sells wine and he waters down the wine so that he can uh, make more bottles of it and sell, the and sell more of the inferior stuff for profit. That's where the word comes from, the original word. I, I, can't, I can't imagine drinking watered-down wine, quite frankly. What about a watered-down gospel? <clears throat> if someone's goal in ministry is to be popular and to grow a big church for their own sake, then gospel light, that's the way to go. <clears throat> go easy on sin, go easy on repentance, promise success, promise scratch itching ears. Scratch the itching ears of the hearer. And in Paul's day, to avoid persecution, particularly persecution from Jews, the way to avoid persecution was to preach Jesus plus law for salvation. Jesus plus law. That would not attract the persecution that Paul experienced, particularly from the Jews. And that's the message, as we'll see later in 2 Corinthians, of these super apostles in Corinth. Now, when we share the gospel, I think it's, um, it's very tempting for us to water it down. Um, <clears throat> there is a case for, you know, depending on where a person's at, to, uh, to say something about the gospel, but not all of the gospel in one hit. Um, there is a case for that. Uh, but we're so tempted to water down the gospel because uh, we are concerned, are we not, of what people will think of us. And, and I have those feelings myself, um, particularly when I'm preaching to a large group of people who are not, um, uh, not Christians. And at those times, it's remember, worth remembering, remembering what Paul says in these verses, uh, where he's really saying that uh, the gospel is not our message, uh, the gospel is God's message. Uh, Paul is a messenger from God and he speaks in the sight of God. So as a messenger from God, he has God's message and as someone who speaks in the sight of God, uh, we, are, we are conscious that God is with us, we're also conscious that God is listening to what we say and that we are accountable to God. So it's a message which people need to hear. It's a message which we are accountable to actually share. And that actually strengthens us to be able to share boldly and clearly uh, without so much concern about rejection. Rather be rejected by man than be rejected by God. And this is Paul's approach. Because for some, you see, it's not necessarily what people want to hear, but it is actually what people need to hear. For some, uh, it will prove to be the sweet fragrance of life. And that is a fragrance which the Corinthians had breathed in. 
In, uh, one, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to them in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, uh, do you know how Paul describes those Corinthians? Uh, listen to some of, the, some of his description. He describes them as being sexually immoral. He describes them being as, as idol worshippers, thieves, adulterers, swindlers, drunkards. And, but that is not who they are now. That is who they once were. Before they heard the gospel and were washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in uh, chapter 3, first three verses, we see that the super apostles, it seems, <clears throat> reading between the lines that they had turned up in Corinth uh, waving letters of recommendation about how wonderful they are. It's maybe how they worm their way into the congregation. And ministry credentials can sound impressive sometimes, can't they? You know, reverent, <clears throat> very reverent. The one I really like is most reverent. <clears throat> or a chief executive pastor. That's a good one, isn't it? It can sound very impressive. But unless the gospel is preached, how much are they worth? Nothing. They are worthless. In fact, they are dangerous. And so what letters of recommendation could Paul wave around to impress the Corinthians? None. <laughs> he didn't have any. He wasn't even one of the uh, original 12. He was not one who knew Jesus in his earthly ministry. He didn't have letters of recommendation from the church in Jerusalem. No, he didn't have any letters of recommendation at all except, well, except for one. Check it out, verse 1 of chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? I don't think Paul feels comfortable about commending himself, but they put him in that situation of having to do so. Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. You want an impressive letter of recommendation, says Paul. Have a look in the mirror. Have a look in the mirror. For you are that letter. And the Corinthians, well, they are not a private letter in a sealed envelope, are they? No. They are like an open letter published in a newspaper where everyone can see, everyone can read, because everyone can see who they once were and who they now are, changed by the gospel. They are the letter, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God on the heart of Paul, because he loves them, on their hearts as well. They are that letter. Do you know something? that a letter of recommendation is only as valuable as the person who writes it. 
you know, when I applied to study at Moore College, uh, I lived with two other guys and all three of us applied to study at Moore College at the same time. And we had to supply letters of recommendation from people in our application. We all wrote letters of recommendation to each other. And the principal was interviewing me to see whether or not I was fit to enter Moore College. And he, Peter Jensen, and he looked at my application, he looked at these references, and he looked at me and he said, you realise that if one of you fail, <laughs> well, who has written Paul's letter of recommendation? Paul's letter of recommendation is written in verse 3, by Christ. The, the, the super apostles, we don't know who wrote their letter of recommendation, how important those recommenders were, but in verse 3, the Corinthians are a letter from Christ himself. That is high recommendation. That is a very good letter to have and they are the results of Paul's ministry. They are results of Paul's ministry. I don't look so much at titles or academic qualifications, theological qualifications. I look at what is the fruit. Is there the fruit of changed lives for the gospel through someone's ministry? How do we measure success in ministry? You and I, we are part of this world, and so we're going to be influenced by the world's view of success. Uh, we're going to be influenced to think that it is about being big and being popular and being spectacular. But the cross of Jesus actually takes that, the world's view of success and turns it upside down. Indeed, <clears throat> I wonder if you've noticed that it's often in our weaknesses that God displays not our strength, but his strength. His strength in doing his work so that all of the glory goes not to us but to him. <laughs> I remember how I felt that time I visited the so-called successful church. It helped me to see that without faithfulness to the gospel, it is not true success. Now, we need to be ambitious for the gospel um, we want churches to be successful. We want churches to grow. We want lots of people to be going to church and uh, becoming Christians and we want our church to grow. But why? Why? It's not to make a name for ourselves. It's never to be to make a name for ourselves. But rather it is that people would be hearing and breathing in that fragrance of life, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and that they would be saved from judgment and that their lives would be, would be changed, not by our power, but by the power of the living God to his glory. Amen. <clears throat> Let us pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the... Um, uh, the weakness of the gospel itself, of Jesus uh, hanging on a cross, being mocked, being ridiculed, being scorned, 
But we thank you, Father, that uh, in so doing, that he has paid the penalty for sin. And in his resurrection from the grave, he is victorious. Father, the servant is no greater than the master. And if we follow Jesus, we know that we too, if we're faithful, will not always be popular. Father, we pray that uh, you would uh, strengthen us and embolden us to be true and to be bold and to be sincere in sharing the true gospel. Father, that through that, that others would be breathing the fragrance of life and coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. Amen.